Welcome back to the Music Industry 360 podcast. I'm Vanessa. I'm Tarika. And we have back on the podcast, Patrick, who will be discussing neighboring rights with us today. Hi, Patrick. Why, hello there. (laughs) Thanks for coming back. (laughs) Tarika's going to be giggle fits for the next three hours. Next hour. This is the special edition three-hour podcast of (laughs) neighboring rights. There must be a lot of info about neighboring rights to make it three hours. Yeah. There's six hours of info, but we're going to condense it down to three hours. Awesome. All right. So in case you guys didn't know, we actually have finally made the move to downtown. I know we've been teasing about it in the past like four episodes of the podcast, but we made it. We're here. We're in our new fancy studio. So let's get right into it like we usually do. So Patrick, before we get into understanding what neighboring rights is, can you give a brief overview of what the term means in the recorded music industry? Because when I first read it, I think about a dispute with your neighbor over your paper or picking up after your dog. Um, a literal fight with your neighbor. Yes, neighboring <laughs> yeah, rights. Yeah, that's, that's actually what it is. <laughs> it's Symphonic's new service where uh, if you have Amazon Key, we'll come to your house. And we'll we'll take care of uh, resolving your dispute with your neighbors. So it's a pretty pretty forward thinking service here. It's pretty cool. But neighboring rights also means a collection of royalties from uh, uh, public performance of recordings. So last time we were talking about publishing administration, which covers the composition. Neighboring rights covers the collection of the recording uh, being publicly performed, but not necessarily publicly in terms of uh, a band playing it, but it could be maybe it's on SiriusXM or on Pandora or even BBC Radio. Um, We can collect on all those royalties. So when we distribute somebody's track to, because you said like Pandora, didn't you? Like, should you also sign up for neighboring rights then for that? Or is that different? So that's a good question. So when it comes to Pandora and being um, a symphonic distribution client, for example, when we deliver content to Pandora, they're going to pay us directly the royalties because of the relationship we have and because we're distributing directly to them. If, for example, you distributed directly to Pandora before working with a distributor like Symphonic and you never got royalties from any of those plays, it's because Sound Exchange and other societies were collecting those royalties from Pandora. But if you go through Symphonic Distribution, we'll collect those royalties directly. But that doesn't mean that there's still not potentially other sources of royalties that are still being collected by those societies that we can collect on your behalf. How are neighboring rights collected and what exactly does Sound Exchange collect? I think I answered that in the last question. Let's move on. I told you he did. <laughs> you said that we collect, but like, how do you collect it? Do you do it like monthly or, you know? Oh, yeah. We we go to the society's front door. Um, we see if they're <laughs> available. We knock on the door, make a meeting. Um, it's our neighbor's they have, neighbors. They have literal cash there on the spot. And, uh, you know, we take it back with us. Okay. Are we keeping that or what are we doing? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How do we collect? Uh, I guess I could say um, the neighboring rights collections, you submit the works to us and we get them registered with the various societies. There's about 14 of them that we work with currently. Um, And then those royalties would just go on the quarterly statements along with all the other royalties that we collect uh, as usual. Like the publishing royalties and then your regular streaming royalties. Yeah, sure. Technically, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how does an artist know if he or she is earning neighboring rights royalties? Wow, Vanessa, that's a really great question. 
<laughs> I sense sarcasm. No, that is a good question, though. What's kind of cool is with Sound Exchange, you can actually go on their website and search an artist name or even a label name just to see if they are sitting on anything. Uh, it's not it's not something that you could do with like ASCAP or BMI where it's just public information like that. But with Sound Exchange, you can just go on the website and create an account and see if they are sitting on any royalties. And then you can work with them directly um, to be able to collect those royalties or just sign up for neighboring rights through us as a distribution client. And we'll go ahead and get them from Sound Exchange and the other 13 or so societies across the globe. So what would the price difference be then if they went directly to Sound Exchange versus going through their distribution company? Like does you said create an account with Sound Exchange is it like a free account? Yeah, I don't I don't believe it costs anything, um, but you're you're definitely going to be taking the time to make sure that the works are registered properly and that you're also able to collect and everything involved there. Um, when you're an artist, you should just be working on music. You shouldn't really have to be worrying about the business side of things. Um, so that's where we can step in and just take care of the neighboring rights administration and just do everything for you. And on Symphonic's end, we do keep 30% of the royalties collected just for upkeep of the service because there's no upfront fees to opt in for neighboring rights. There's no upfront fees to submit works, anything like that. So it's all very seamless. And we just take a take some of the royalties off the back end just for upkeep. So you're saving um, saving the artists a big headache, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because there's so much to know and learn in the processes and styles and just everything. So you're not having to worry about that. You should just be worrying about having fun, making music, doing that stuff. Number 40. <laughs> Can someone expect a good amount of royalties? Yeah, millions of dollars, Tariqa. Well, obviously, we take 30% of the million dollars. Yeah. What was the question again? <laughs> can artists expect a lot of something? Yeah. Can someone expect a good amount of royalties? Like, what's the biggest check you've ever seen? Yeah, it was like a it was a $55 million check from Kanye. <laughs> That's a damn lie. Cool. <laughs> uh, I would say, you know, it's kind of hard to say how much in royalties an artist can expect, but... You know, if you know you're getting a lot of plays on Pandora, for example, um, on back catalog that wasn't delivered through us, um, you're definitely going to be missing out on a lot. You know, even in the cases where maybe you do distribute content through us and then it ends up on uh, some different radio stations or on BBC Radio 1, you know, there's a lot of really cool radio shows on BBC, uh, including like Diplo and Friends. A lot of people's music gets put in that on rotation every week. Um, You know, if you're getting those kind of plays... You know, there's royalties out there for you, most likely. Is there like an ideal artist who should sign up for this, or is this something that everyone should do? I think everyone should do it. There's there's really no reason not to. Um, we don't really have an approval process in place for it, and it doesn't cost anything to opt in either. Uh, very similar to the YouTube content ID system, where it's just like, you might as well do it. I mean, there's royalties out there, and there's potential revenue out there. You know, just cover all your bases. Can someone sign up just for neighboring rights with us and not be a digital distribution client? Uh, no, it actually, the way we have it built in our system is that it is meant to be for distribution clients. So the content has to be there and delivered. And then that way we have all of the assets and metadata that we can take care of uh, registering. Yeah, it's all ready to go, basically. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned this briefly earlier, but what are some of the main differences between neighboring rights and publishing? So the differences would be neighboring rights covering 
the recorded audio being publicly performed and publishing administration covering the composition of those works. So that's the major difference. I think I remember talking with you about how when companies like if you go out to eat somewhere and they're playing music that they have to pay royalties to the companies. Now, is that publishing or is that neighboring rights? I believe it could be both because there's different types of royalties involved there. So there's performance royalties and then there's like the statutory royalties and etc. So is there an actual person that goes around with a badge saying like, hey, do you have, are you paying royalties, you know, to make sure these people are allowed to play the music? Yeah, venues are required by law to pay a fee to uh, the collection societies, such as like ASCAP and BMI. That doesn't have to do with neighboring rights, though, okay? because it's a different type of royalty. But um, they do have to pay those fees. Just like if a venue wanted to serve alcohol, they have to pay a license, an alcohol license, right? So if you plan on having music played like that, because that's considered being performed live, you have to pay a license for that as well. And ASCAP and BMI and some other societies, they do actually employ like college kids in different towns to go around and make sure that those fees are actually paid and that they have the um, the badges on the windows and things like that. Hmm. Um, I think when I was at South by Southwest, one of the panels I went to that was really cool, uh, they were talking about how somewhere between 20, somewhere around like 25% of the venues in the U.S. are actually paying those fees. Oh, really? And the other 75% aren't. And most of those 75%, they actually don't even know that that's even a thing. Sure, yeah, that was news to me. Yeah, so there's a lot of debate about, well, okay, so who's responsible for making sure that these venues are educated? So, kind of interesting. That's a whole other podcast. Other, <laughs> other podcast. Whole other six-hour podcast. <laughs> What are some suggestions that you'd give to any artist not currently involved in the field of neighboring rights? I would say to definitely be aware that there are royalties out there. You know, you want to definitely make sure that you're covering all your bases uh, so that way you're not leaving anything on the table, so to speak. And that can go with um, neighboring rights, publishing administration, um, YouTube content ID even. The list goes on, really. And you can reach out to us at Symphonic Distribution, just support at simdistro.com and talk to us if if you have any questions or want any opinions on how to go about everything. So since it's Halloween, are there any neighboring rights nightmares that you want to share? <laughs> um, I would say when Tariqa asked me that question <laughs> and I rolled my eyes, I was obviously having nightmares about that. But seriously, are there? Nightmares? Were there so, any bad cases that you had to deal with? Actually, it's a pretty automated system that we have in place. So it's just um, registering so the works and collecting that money, collecting that dough. Do we have any live callers? <laughs> Caller number one. I see, I, see I see the phone is sitting there, but I don't see any lights going off. I think there are no calls because you answered everyone's questions. Wow, that's... Thoroughly. Actually, he didn't answer the nightmare question really well, so... <laughs> oh, that's our next caller. <laughs> Vanessa, do we have any upcoming events? Well, in a couple weeks, we actually are going as a team to Metropolitan Ministries. We're going to be working in the soup kitchen and just helping out the local homeless folks. Uh, Tariqa, do we have any company news going on? Yeah, we actually just released a new Spotify guide. It's free. You can download it on our blog. It's awesome. Patrick actually helped us to uh, put it together. What's up? It's the part that sucks. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Download it. Download it twice. Check it out. 
Uh, so what is everyone currently listening to, Patrick? Chris Brown. Not Chris Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the Stranger Things 2 soundtrack. Because mm. it's cool. And I don't know if you guys watched the season yet. I did. I'm on episode 7, so don't spoil it. Okay, this is what well, happens. Well, 11 dies, so there's that. <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> um... What was actually really cool was that my favorite my favorite song in the soundtrack was there was two different montage sequences near the end of the show where they're like getting ready to fight against the, the demodogs demodogs gorgodogs demogorgodogs oh, they look like dogs, actually because they're because see they're demo they're demogorgs but they're dogs so you put the words together and those demodogs okay Dustin. I like it. <laughs> that's so, from the show Vanessa he literally said that line verbatim like three times oh really. <laughs> Yeah, but there's a my favorite song was the one that plays during the montage when they're getting ready to fight. It's pretty cool, and nice. I've been playing on my Spotify. The song is called Soldiers. I'll check it out. Why'd you whisper that? Because <laughs> it's really it's really intimate setting here with all the lights off, guys. I can barely breathe in here. Yes, we have candlelight and everything to make it a spooky <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Anywho, Tarika. What are you listening to? Um, I'm actually listening to uh, Majid Jordan's album that just dropped this week, I think, or last week. It's really good. It's called uh, The Space Between. You guys should check it out. It's on Spotify and iTunes and all those cool places. How much do they pay you to say that? You don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> that is neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to one of our clients, uh, Kalma Carmona. She just came out with her music video that we distributed. How much are they paying you to say that? They are yeah, not paying seriously. me to say that. No, it's actually a very good video, and I really like her sound. It's Aww. called Cien Vidas. That's good. Check it out on Spotify. <laughs> Kalma Carmona. And iTunes. And iTunes. And you Tidal. Know, yeah. And Amazon. And Google. And Pandora. <laughs> and every other good DSP. Okay, guys, that was episode six of the Music Industry 360 podcast. I'm Tarika. I'm Vanessa. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye. Say bye, Patrick. Bye, Patrick.